to be together today. It's good to be together today, and it is good for us to be together today. If we haven't met yet, my name's David. I'm the worship pastor here. And through the season of resurrection, I hope you're not getting tired of the hallelujahs. They're going to keep coming. And if you're getting tired of them, take it up with the Lord. (laughs) We can bring everything to him. Resurrection is a season, and through this season, we're going through the book of Colossians. It's a a letter that Paul writes to a church that's in need. And last week, we looked at uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, which uh, some call the Christ hymn. It's probably one of the first worship songs that the Christian church sings together. And every time I get a chance to argue that, that the Bible is written not primarily or exclusively by, by theologians or, or, or good storytellers, but written by worshipers. It's written by worshipers for worshipers. Paul, at every chance he gets, erupts in praise to Jesus. This, this section of 15 to 20 actually interrupts his flow of thought. It's like a praise break kind of sidebar thing. And then in verses 21 to 23, that's what we're looking at today, he comes back, he returns to the progression of thought uh, that he is making. So feel free to turn there. Uh, Let me pray for us. Jesus, we need you today. We need you to fill our minds with your truth, to fill our hearts with your love. Thank you, Jesus, that your word speaks to us today. Anoint Not only the speaking, but the hearing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 13, I want to back up to there. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. When you hear that, you can hear back into it a little bit, can't you? Or when somebody says, I've been sober for six months. You can hear back into their story, right? Somebody says, I'm a cancer survivor. You can hear back into their story. And Paul says, he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. It's a dominion because there's not a king, by the way. And brought us into the kingdom of the son whom he loves. He goes on this praise break, magnifying Jesus as the king of kings, lord of lords, the firstborn over all creation. And then in verse 21, he reminds them of what they were before Christ. Colossians 1.21, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, Paul does not know most of these, personally, most of these people personally. He's not looking at a ledger of their deeds, the things that they've done and left undone. He knows this about them because it is true of all creation, all of those who are not brought in, who have not been brought in by the blood of Jesus. Aliens, enemies of God, and, and which leads to sinful deeds or sinful behaviors. And these are not just three happenstance types of things. This is a cumulative thing. One leads to the other, leads to the other. Alienation from God leads to enmity between people and God, between people and people, between all of creation, which leads to sinful behavior, sinful deeds, which goes on back, it creates further alienation. It's this vicious cycle that appears in the created world from the very beginning. I want to show you briefly a little bit of the history of this. Once you were, Paul says to these Christians, 
If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, we see this play out in the history of humanity. Even if this is your first Sunday in church, you probably know of the first humans, Adam and Eve, who take of the tree, they eat of a tree that was not intended for them, or not yet at least. They eat of it, and what happens to them immediately? Their eyes are opened, they see their nakedness, and they hide from God in shame. Do you see alienation? Their first children, Cain and Abel, What happens with Cain and Abel? Cain is envious of his brother's status with God and the fact that his offering is acceptable to God. And so what does he do? Lures his brother into the field. I was struck by it as we sang it. Let all the fields worship the Lord. The field that was intended to bring glory to God now becomes the site of the first murder. Enmity, do you see it? And by the time we get six chapters in to the first book, of 66 books. We're this far into the story. Okay. Genesis 6 5. This is the state of the earth that God made, that God loves. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Yikes. And if we kept reading, we would see this cycle repeat itself again and again and again and again. This is not just something that's in the scripture. You know this reality. You experience it in your life, this alienation, this separation, this enmity. Enmity with God and humanity. Enmity between humans and other humans. Enmity, the whole created order is upset by this. This pattern gets passed down from generation to generation. And Paul summarizes in Romans 5, 12, the effects of sin coming into the world and this pattern being unleashed and wreaking havoc among us. Therefore, Romans 5, 12, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Theologians will say we are sinners Apart from Christ, we are sinners by nature and by choice. This sin has been passed down from generation to generation through Adam and Eve. And we are not purely victims of it. We are complicit in it. We perpetuate this cycle as we turn away from God, as we turn away from one another. By nature and by choice. David Garland, the NIV application commentary, writes this about these, this verse. The word alienated implies isolation, loneliness, and a deep sense of not belonging. Humans have worshipped false gods and have become enslaved to sin so that the ways of the true God seem alien Being enemies in your mind does not limit hostility only to the intellectual aspects of our lives. When we are out of relationship with God, it mars our entire life. Thoughts and behaviors are intertwined. Chronic sinful behavior twists the mind so that it becomes even more at enmity with God, and the twisted mind hurls us into ever greater depravity. The depraved mind, then, commends evil behavior as good or natural or as an alternative lifestyle. It produces and condones fear and suspicion of others 
and an urge to hurt and destroy them. Colossians, once you were. People of God at Wellspring Church, once you were. But now. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. But now. This is Paul's favorite construction to highlight the glory of the gospel. Once you were, but now. This is the hinge upon which the gospel turns. But now. The next time we do the liturgy and Billy's leading us and says, now we proclaim the good news of the gospel, say, but now. (laughs) Don't do that. Okay. But now, verse 22, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Do you see the turn? Alienation, enmity, evil deeds. Now, holy, presentable, and free from accusation. Hallelujah. Once you were, but now. The cross is the culmination of God's redemptive work, but it's actually a thread that we can trace all the way back to the beginning. When Adam and Eve are hiding in the bush, how does God respond? The way you answer this question is going to reveal a lot about how you see God and how you see the world and how you see yourself. How does God respond? Or as St. Athanasius in On the Incarnation poses the dilemma, what What does God, being good, what was God, being good, to do? He moves toward them. Where are you? He calls out. This is not frantic. Where are you? This is not fury. Where are you? This is God moving toward his creation that he loves. Where are you? Who told you? There are consequences of their actions. We feel them still today. But he moves toward them. He replaces the fig leaves that they had used that are probably drying up. (laughs) He replaces them with leather. He covers them. He sends them out of the garden, not just because he's mad at them, but because he wants to preserve them. He doesn't want them to eat from the tree of life in their fallen state. Do you see the movement of God toward his people? Even before Cain has murder in his heart, he has it in his heart, but he hasn't done it yet, God shows up and says, why are you angry? Do you hear the invitation? Do you hear the the, the redemptive threat? Why are you angry? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Where is your brother after he's done it? Even the flood, even the flood, we see a God who purifies the earth and is in the midst of that, preserving for himself a people who will be sentient enough to receive his grace and then release it onto the world. God is moving towards his people. So we have this cycle of sin that is going out of control along the whole biblical narrative. And then we have this cycle of redemption and restoration and preservation that runs right next to it. God is moving towards his people. He's preserving them. He's keeping them so that his love might be fully revealed to them in Jesus Christ. I love how there's a Kenyan prayer 
that we do sometimes, it'll sound familiar to some of you, in the Eucharistic liturgy that kind of encapsulates the redemptive thread of this salvation through the Old Testament and culminating in Christ. It is right and our delight to give you thanks and praise, great Father, living God, supreme over the world, creator, provider, savior, and giver. From a wandering nomad, you created your family, Abraham. For a burdened people, you raised up a leader, Moses. For a confused nation, you chose a king, Saul, then David. For a rebellious crowd, you sent your prophets. And in these last days, you have sent us your son, your perfect image, bringing your kingdom, revealing your will, dying, rising, reigning, remaking your people for yourself. Do you see it? Through him, you have poured out your Holy Spirit, filling us with light and life. Once you were, but now. Thank you, Jesus. He has reconciled you. Reconciliation, this loaded term that a single word in English or in any language can't really even whiff at. The reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. The exchanging of hostility for friendship to bring back to a former state of harmony. A parallel passage in Ephesians to the one we're looking at today. Paul will say, but now, there it is again, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. If you're familiar with that phrase, this, this, this blood, this sacrifice, You'll be reminded, I think, I hope, of the Old Testament sacrificial system, an elaborate scheme that wasn't just Israel's attempt to pacify God. It was actually a gift given to them by God so that he could maintain and restore a relationship with them in the midst of their sin and his great glory and holiness. And what was to be presented regularly at different times and for different reasons were sacrifices, animal sacrifices, that were to be the best and the first without blemish is the, is the sacrifice that God was to receive. And so in Jesus, do you see how he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? He presents himself as a sacrifice to God once for all, the book of Hebrews will say, once for all in order that our broken relationship with God might be completely Restored, And now, we are then presented as holy. We are presented as without blemish. We are presented as free from all accusation or above reproach. This is staggering. Again, from David Garland, trying to capture the gravity of the cross and the reconciliation of God's people. To God, He says, the death of an obscure Jew on a seemingly God-forsaken hillock, which is just a small hill, in a backwater of the Roman Empire attracted no notice from the historians of the era, but it was the event that reconciled heaven and earth. Listen, the cross establishes a new relationship between God and humans, which overcomes the rupture created by sin, estrangement from God, estrangement from other humans, estrangement from created things. Reconciliation in Christ 
breaks the cycle of sin, heals the ruptured relationship with God, and brings us into accord with God's holy character and purpose. Do you see why the cross is such a big deal for us? Do you see why it's large and in charge in this room? Do you see why we can't get over it? Paul can't get over it in Colossians. It's gonna come up again and again and again. Instead of being aliens and enemies marked by evil deeds, we have been reconciled to God and presented as holy in his sight. We now have a new nature. Amen? (laughs) We have a new nature now. So Paul earlier in, in 15 to 20, we saw that he is the firstborn of creation, of a new creation. First meaning he's the the first and the primary, the best and the first, but not the only. He's the firstborn of a new creation in great anticipation of a secondborn and a thirdborn and a fourthborn and a fifthborn. Amen? The people of God in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He has made it so of his church today. Can you believe it? Thank you, Jesus. And so now, if sin was normal and natural, and evil and enmity was normal and natural, it's just the opposite. Now the world is actually alien to us. The pursuits and pleasures of this world make no sense to the Christian. Why would I go, about, go after that in that kind of way when I've been given a new nature in Christ Jesus? He is everything. I give up everything because I'm in Christ and I see the glory of the King. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. If you're a Presbyterian in the room, I'm sorry, you're probably squirming in that. <laughs> it's not talking about decision theology that out of nowhere I had this great idea that I was going to follow Jesus. It was written by a man who was on his way to be martyred for the sake of Christ. Sadhu Sundar Singh. And he was given, as most martyrs are, given options to recount, to to take away, to to resist uh, his faith in Jesus, to say, no, I, I, I forsake it, I give up. And he didn't do it because the world had become alien to him and he had been brought near to the blood of Jesus. I, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Though none go with me, they killed his family in front of him. Though none go with me, still I will follow. We have a new nature. The world is alien to us and now. We are invited to enjoy communion with the Father again. Whereas the first humans took and ate and brought upon this cycle of of wreckage to our world, our Lord Jesus stands behind the table. He lifts up the bread. He lifts up the cup. And what does he say? Take Eat. This is my body. This is my blood. It's all for you. What's lost has been found. What was broken has been put back together, and the curse has been reversed. Guys, this is not a theory. This is not a nice idea for another day. This is the reality of those who are in Christ. And I want to tell you today, if God seems alien to you today, that redemptive thread is in this room right now. Jesus is calling. Jesus is inviting for us to come out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
the week after uh, Resurrection Sunday, I ran into Josh Belt in the foyer, and I was still, um, the, you know the emoji with the eyes that are like that? Yeah, after four services on Easter Sunday, I was still that. But I ran into him. I didn't know him. Uh, and so I just said, man, it was so cool to witness your baptism on Easter Sunday. What was that like? And he just looked at me, and he just was like, everything is different. Everything is different. And I had time to follow up with him. Are you in here, Josh? Not that, okay. I had time to follow up with him this past week and with Theo, and I just, I was like, man, I want to hear more. For me, as someone who's walked with Jesus for a long time, you know, Paul reminds the Colossians of this, and it awakes their hearts to the wonder of God's redemptive love. And hearing it from Josh, it had the same effect for me. I just was like, oh, this is so refreshing to hear someone who is experiencing being transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so I, I just wanted to hear more. And these are some of the things that Josh shared, some of the words he used to, to express his experience. Life-changing. I'm completely new. I didn't understand the Bible. He said it was like trying to read a phone book. <laughs> now I understand it. He reads it. He listens to it every day. My mind thinks about things differently. I know I'm not alone anymore. I'm at home now. I feel a sense of calling. Everything is brighter, everything is lighter, and God is heavier. Everything has changed. Once you were, but now. Thank you, Jesus. He has reconciled you, and you are presented as holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Paul is not here inviting us to kind of theorize about a person who seems to have or does have legitimate faith in Christ, and then they fall away over time and to say, what, what you know, to do kind of a post-mortem and say, what, what happened? What was going on there? Paul is writing to this church saying, stick with it. Stay in it. Continue in the hope that you have received. It's, it's almost like, what, why has he put that in there? Is that really necessary? It's actually the purpose of this letter. He is writing to this church to say, remember where you were. Remember what Jesus has done. Hold on to it. Don't let go. Church, we need to be regularly reminded of the truth of this gospel. It is good for us to be together today. We need to hear God's word We need to listen to God's word. We need to have God's word proclaimed over us by other people in settings like this, in one-on-one meetings. We need to be reminded of the truth of this gospel so that we continue to build our lives upon Christ, the solid rock. If we don't, slowly and over time, the things of God will start to become alien to us again. And I don't think this typically happens as just a tidal wave. I think it's an undercurrent. And we compromise here, and we compromise there, and then all of a sudden, God seems strange to us again. Does the truth of the gospel, does the person of God seem strange to you today? He might be inviting you to return and to repent to what you've heard. Thank you, Jesus.
Lord, I want to pray that you would take this word that you have spoken, plant it deep in our hearts, Lord. And Jesus, enable us to open wide our arms and open wide our hearts to receive you, we pray. Amen. Very often at this point in the service, we'll go straight into the prayers of the people, but there's actually a part of our liturgy that I think we don't want to miss today. After the sermon, it's appropriate, it's fitting for us today to stand and proclaim what we believe about God, God's world, ourselves included, in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Please stand. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in you. 